I'm Gary Bembridge, and this is Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. Each month, a new destination is featured with recommendation, advice, and tips based on the first-hand travel experience I gain from the two to three times a month I travel all over the world. You may also want to check out the Tips for Travellers video podcast, a sister podcast which features videos I've made of hotel rooms or attractions with commentary and recommendations linked to the destination featured each month in this audio podcast. To find out more, visit tipsfortravellers.com, where travellers is spelt with two L's, the UK way, or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk. You can subscribe to one or both of the podcasts by searching for Tips for Travellers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. And on this episode of Tips for Travellers podcast, stately homes in England worth visiting. Harewood House, Osborne House, Killerton House, Hatfield House and Kensington Palace. Once you visit one stately home, you seem to have a drive to go and see more and more. They do seem addictive, well, to me anyway. So when I had a chance to visit Harewood House when staying near Leeds, towards the north of England, I leapt at it and I was very pleased to have done so. Harewood House has won a number of tourist awards, including Visitor Attraction of the Year, based on the volume of visitors it gets. The property is massive. And in addition to the house and some other regular attractions, Harewood House runs many events and features across the season that attracts crowds. These range from car enthusiasts like Rolls-Royce that get over 500 cars there. They also have concerts, theatre and open-air cinema shows. The Harewood family still own and live here. It seems they made their money through activities like the slave trade and commerce and in more recent years were associated with royalty when one of the Queen Victoria's relatives, uh, the Princess Royal Mary, married into the family. In the house, there is an exhibition of some of her effects, including her wedding dress. There is so much that is amazing about Harewood House. The house itself is huge and very impressive. It is even more impressive as both the outside and inside are in amazing condition. As the owners are still resident, though mostly on the upper floors, not accessed by the public, the place is full of personal touches and feels very much alive. One of the reasons the whole place is in good condition is through a combination of well-thought-out facilities and events to attract a lot of visitors and also lottery funding and other grants to help restore historically significant fixtures, furniture and buildings. The grounds are sprawling and well-landscaped. You drive up a long one-mile driveway to the house and a parking area. The house is grand and imposing with a huge lawn that people play games on. The other side of the house is even more grand with a large veranda and then incredible sculpted gardens. You can have live meals and tea looking over the gardens across the open space and onto the hills beyond. Also in the grounds is a large lake full of birds so people walk around and picnic around. There's a large bird sanctuary with a huge collection of birds from around the world including an ostrich and then a penguin house and pool where you can watch them being fed at 2pm. You can also visit a planetarium, play in a large children's adventure ground if you're a child and of course visit the house. The house tour is in two parts. The understairs, where you can visit the kitchens and some other exhibitions included in the ticket price to the grounds. The main house visit means paying slightly more than a grounds-only ticket, and it's well worth it. There's an audio tour or a guidebook for about £5, and you can visit all the ground floor rooms, which are breathtakingly intricate and full of furniture, artwork, and, and just amazing 
pieces of stuff, really. Even if you don't buy the guidebook, in each room there's usually someone to explain it, or they're laminated cards telling you about the room and the contents. The rooms are quite something, especially the library, state bedroom, and the grand hall. The old stables have been turned into a restaurant and gift shop with fudge as their big thing. A great day out and highly recommended. That's Harewood House in Leeds. The second place I would recommend if you're into the stately home mood is Osborne House in the Isle of Wight. Now, the Isle of Wight seems to mostly be known for being a hub and focus for sailing and sailors, with events like cows and the round the island race being the best known. In Victorian times, it had quite a different status. Mm. This is where Queen Victoria spent a lot of time, and in fact, she died on the island. Prince Albert and her had the very beautiful and impressive Osborne House built and developed on the Isle of Wight. The grounds and house having stunning views across the sea to the English coast, and Portsmouth in particular. The Isle of Day is a curious mix, as it still attracts people with money who have second or holiday homes, and attracted by the scenery, beaches and sailing. And then it's a favoured day out for the grey-haired crowd. You can get to the Isle of Wight from Portsmouth, which is the closest, or Southampton. There are fast catamaran crossings for passengers, and then the ferry takes about 200 cars and trucks and takes about an hour. The company is called Red Funnel, and they're very organised. The crossing leaves on the hour from Southampton, and on the half of half hour from the island. It's best to book online and print of the pass. You need to arrive between an hour and a half or so before they board and get off very much in time. Now, Osborne House, once you're there, it's about a mile or so from where the ferry docks. You can probably spend most of the day here if you wanted to. Osborne House, as I mentioned, was the home that Queen Victoria spent a lot of time at and eventually died at. Situated in massive and very beautiful grounds, the house is impressive and beautiful at the same time. It costs about £10 per adult to visit, and on arrival, you go through a bright and interesting shop to buy tickets. You can then walk or catch a horse buggy to the house. No member of the royal family used the house after Queen Victoria died. The house was used as a convalescent home for military, and they've more recently been renovated and more and more rooms are opened. You get to see some fairly private rooms, like bedrooms, the nursery, and the sitting rooms. It's full of furniture and ornaments. It's really fascinating. And then you can stroll through the beautifully laid-out gardens, into the various areas right across the property. There is a restaurant and there's a lot of stairs to be climbed up and down the house and you saw many a pensioners struggling, so be warned. So that's Osborne House, which is the second of, of my tip. The third is Killerton House in Devon. This National Trust property is described on the guidebook as follows. Killerton is not a grand mansion, but the welcoming home of the Arklands, who have lived in Devon since the 16th century. They created the famous garden rich in rare trees and shrubs and framed the huge agricultural estate that is now in the care of the National Trust. This pretty much in this short paragraph sums up the property, though maybe it does undersell a place as one to visit. But I guess when you consider some of the huge, grand and very ornate properties that the National Trust in the UK manages, they do probably underestimate how interesting and entertaining a visit here can be. The 10-square-mile estate had been in the family for 350 years until it was given to the National Trust in 1944 by Sir Richard Auckland. In addition to the massive grounds and house, the estate also has a huge 9,000-plus item collection of clothing, shoes and accessories dating back to the 1700s. The massive collection is only exhibited in a fairly small series of exhibitions across the year in the upstairs of the house. Killerton is situated off the M5 motorway, fairly close to Exeter in Devon, 
And as there seem to be fairly few national trusts and, and large stately homes in this neck of the woods, it's a very popular place to visit. The property is on a hill with great views. When you arrive, there's a fairly large parking area and there's an education discovery centre. And you go down to the entrance to the property. You can visit the garden, which has a large collection of plants and garden ornaments for some strange reason. And there is a second-hand bookshop, a tea room, a restaurant, which is fairly costly, and a large gift shop with local crafts and a huge book section, mostly about cooking and baking. You can pay to just visit the open lands where dogs are allowed, or the open lands and gardens, or those and the house. Dogs on a leash are allowed only into the park. It's very large, a lot of sheep ambling about, costs about £8.40 for full access for adults and about £6.20 for access without the house. The house, as per the description in the guidebook, is not of the scale of many of the stately homes in the, in the country and also on this podcast. It's more of a large mansion than a stately home. Saying that, it's large, it's impressive, and I liked it. Though unlike the huge cold houses with long halls, it does feel like something that people can live in. The rooms are large, they're impressive, but the neighbor was homely and a bit like visiting an elderly relative in taste-wise. I guess that's because the house was pretty much put on pause after the war and was handed to the National Trust. The house also has an added-on feel, like houses where people have added to as their families grew and they tag on extra rooms. It, it, it works. It's packed full of furniture, books, pianos. It's very grand. If you head up the impressive staircase, the upstairs, though, is more like a museum, as this is where they put on the displays of the clothes I mentioned. The rooms have been converted to have glass displays and such, so you don't get an entirely accurate feel of what the house would have been like when lived in. There are dressing up and activity sections to keep kids happy and engaged, and considering the size of the collection, you did feel the displays could have been bigger. But saying that, they had a display arranged from the 1700s through the 1960s, and maybe less is more does work. There is some added history about the house related to the Second World War, which they're trying to restore and link back to. Two schools were moved into the house and grounds when children were evacuated from the regions being heavily bombed. In the house is another tea room and restaurant that seems to have a larger selection than the one at the entrance. The gardens are off the restaurant. They're large, they're sprawling and very beautiful. Killington also clearly trying to engage with the local communities, and there are many functions and events held across the summer, like theatre, treasure hunts, and so on. And they also hold farmers' markets on Saturdays through the summer. So that's my third tip, Killington House in Devon. The next one is Hatfield House in Hertfordshire. This is quite something. And Hatfield House often has a familiar air about it for visitors. The reason being that it's been used extensively in films and on television, including Batman, Laura Croft, and Sherlock Holmes. The house and gardens are stunning, huge, sprawling, and very impressive. The same family has lived here for over 400 years, the Earl of Salisbury, and still do, but it is also known as the original property and grounds where the children of Henry VIII grew up. It's also here that Queen Elizabeth I heard she was about to become queen, and you can visit the tree she was supposed to be sitting under when she heard the news. The original old palace still exists, and today is a large hall that's used for events and functions. Over 400 years ago, the family that owned it started to build a new house, and over the years it has evolved and grown. It has a huge complex with impressive front face and gorgeous gardens. The house has a long history associated with royalty and politics due to family connections, and some of the rooms were designed to be used by King James, for example, who succeeded Queen Elizabeth on her death. You can pay to just visit the gardens or the house and gardens. As you're going to take videos and photos inside the house, the photos and videos that I have been able to post on my blog are only of the outside. 
but the inside of the house is breathtaking and very much worth visiting. You can do an audio tour or stroll about and read about the house using the guidebook or the signs in each room. The tour lets you see the main reception rooms, and these are fantastic and include the Marble Hall, very ornate and dramatic, the Grand Staircase, the King James Drawing Room, bright, high ceiling, huge fireplace, the Chinese bedroom, which had been designed to be the King James bedroom, the long gallery, a long room with gold ceiling, the winter dining room, the library, chapel, armory and kitchens. In the grounds is a complex that has a number of interesting shops that include a sweet shop, garden centre, antiques, and a very large tea shop and restaurant with great cakes and tasty food. Hatfield House is also very popular for weddings, and the day we, we were there, there was two going on. The house is only about an hour's drive from London and can also be reached by train, and the station is opposite the entrance to the grounds, so perfect for a great day out. It's also worth checking out on their site, as they have many events, mostly from April to September and around Christmas, and the house itself is open from April to September. My fifth and final tip is the Kensington Palace in London. Probably best known as the place that Princess Diana was living when she tragically died and had been since her marriage and separation from its Charles. Kensington Palace is actually a massive complex with some 700 rooms and many parts of the royal family have or are living there. So it's not so much as a palace as a gated housing development. When people live in the palace it seems that they have a number of rooms and the residential parts are the ones that cannot easily be seen from the gates and boundaries. The palace itself is extremely old and not surprisingly and in addition to being known as the home of Princess Diana, it was also the home of Princess Margaret, whose very 60s-style decoration is apparently still in place, and the rooms are going to be open to the public as part of a major Kensington Palace 2012 revamp underway. Some of Queen Elizabeth's cousins and their families still live there. The grounds of the palace are not huge, but in a great location, surrounded by Kensington Gardens. In the actual grounds, there is a beautiful formal garden, and then large lawns with a very large and very beautiful orangery building that houses a restaurant as well as serving lunch, serves various afternoon tea options. These involve tea holders with sandwiches, cakes, and scones and different types of teas. We were given actually gift vouchers as a birthday gift, which gave us entry to the Enchanted Palace exhibition and champagne afternoon tea at the orangery. If you visit my blog, you'll see pictures in the room. It's fantastic. It's large, it's bright, it's stylish. The afternoon tea is great. Though you, as you cannot reserve a time and table, the line to get in can be slow and involve hanging about a great deal, but it's worth it. The exhibition in the palace takes you through about 30 rooms and is themed around the story of princesses and enchantment. You get this hand-drawn sheet thing to guide you around. To be honest, I think it was all a bit too arty. It was hard to get to understand the history and what we're actually seeing and looking at, which seems crazy when there's so much history in the place with kings, queens and other royalty having used or lived here for hundreds of years. Interestingly, I tweeted we were there and I got a message on the Monday, and they responded that this was a miss and they thanked for the input, so at least they're trying to engage and find out what visitors are looking for as they work on the revamp. The one thing that did help was the staff. In some of the rooms, we asked some of the people to tell us more, and they were very enthusiastic and happily chatted away and told us anecdotes and stories about the palace and the room, which was brilliant and needed as, as standard, like other places do on cards or guide sheets. It's easy to spend a few hours in the house if you actually do that and, and spend time to find out more. Overall, I think the Enchanted theme is a bit too arty and obscure for most tourists looking to immerse themselves in British royalty and pomp. But either way, the place is well organised, it's beautiful and worth seeing. The gift shop has many unusual and interesting gifts and items and that's also worth spending time in. We came up with china mugs, a book, jams, but managed to resist most of the other bits and pieces. A good afternoon out and definitely do the afternoon tea.
So there you are, that's five stately houses in England worth visiting. Hayward House near Leeds, Osborne House in Isle of Wight, Killerton House in Devon, Hatfield House just outside London, and Kensington Palace in London. That's my tips for travellers. Remember, you can visit the blog at tipsfortravellers.com. That's www.tipsfortravellers.com, where travellers are spelt with two L's. And you'll find links to uh, pictures and more commentary on each of these. If you are a Facebook user, please also search for tipsfortravellers.com or Gary Bembridge on Facebook and join the Tips for Travellers fan page. Until next time, happy travels. You've been listening to Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. A new destination with first-hand based advice, recommendations and tips is added each month. If you subscribe to the podcast, thanks for your support. If you don't, you may want to consider subscribing by searching Tips for Travellers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. You can then subscribe to the Tips for Travellers Global Travel Destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions. To find out more, visit tipsfortravellers.com where travellers spelled the UK way with two L's or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.com. Co.uk.